The podcast that you're about to enjoy is part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, visit LowTreeStudios.com. On today's show, we talk about weird and unexplainable items that have been found underground, and Bella turns into a fast food item. We also have your four weekly reports from UFO researcher Richard Lenny and author Ruth Roper-Wild. She stops by with her paranormal report. So stay tuned for this and lots more in this edition of the Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories podcast. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 80 of the Weird Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Wow, 80, that's 20 away from 100. We need to do something special for 100, don't we? We need to get some of our favourite guests on and we'll have a big meeting, like a big discussion and, and whatever. We need we need to mark the occasion, don't we? Yeah, definitely. But we are going to mark the occasion, aren't we? Because we are going to buy the oh-so-coveted Roadcaster Pro. Yeah, well, as a when treat we get to 100, ourselves? yeah, as a treat to ourselves. Yes. But you know, that's six hundred quid of money again on a podcast that we're not making any money on. So, oh, but you have so much enjoyment. I know, I know. We do have fun. We you spend more. You you spent more than six hundred pound to get me here to have enjoyment for me. Oh, that sounds really wrong. Never mind. It was a darn sight more than six hundred quid, and I'm still <laughs> waiting to reap all of the benefits of that one. Excuse me. <laughs> What anyway. the fuck? Do you want a title? <laughs> a what? A title? Actually, you You've do got have a, a title. title. I have one, and therefore you... I am a lady, and you are a... Lord. Lord. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, we yeah. did actually do that thing where you where you <laughs> buy a title, because Bella was all this sort of crazy... Americans, uh, excuse me to anyone who's American who's listening, I don't... This isn't meant to be an insult, but... Yes, it is. No, it isn't. But yes, you Americans, you kind of look at a lot of the stuff we have here, the history, the lords, ladies, the monarchy, all that sort of stuff. And you are really interested in it, aren't you? And I think that a lot of Americans are. And so you love all fairy tales and all that sort of stuff. And you said that, you know, if you could be a princess, just like young girls did. Well, but I can't, I'm no Meghan Markle. Well, I could make you... Just I, I can't make you a princess, but I can make you a lady. So, yes, we did that. <laughs> I we was d- born a lady. What are you talking You're about? You're joking, Annie. Let me tell you something. The, this podcast proves to plenty of people that you can give a woman a title, but you can't make her a lady. <laughs> Screw you. So, it, Well, my point exactly. Thank you very much. Just, just illustrated it perfectly there. Well, before we get started on the podcast today, I did want to say a thank you. I put out a plea on the last episode for some reviews because we are slipping on the charts and so getting some reviews in would be brilliant well no it's true i need to tell them why we need we need the reviews in so it's really cool that some of you have taken us up on that little little quest and have done some reviews for us so i'm going to look at two that i found here on the british itunes review section okay now i have to make this clear if you have done a review for us and you're from somewhere other than the UK, do us a favour, drop us an email to mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk and let us know what country you have done it in 
and then we can actually go on to that specific country then and we can try and find the review because otherwise we don't get alerted to it. So it'd be brilliant if you could do that for us and we will shout you out just like we're going to do for these two guys that reviewed us here in the UK. And you will also stroke my husband's ego by giving him Someone a needs to stroke something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Nice. <laughs> The two reviews that we have, one is from Mick R, goes by the username NorthernLad69, uh, given us five stars with a title of Genuine and Funny, so really appreciate that. Thank you very much, Mick. That's absolutely amazing. And then we've also got one from David in Sheffield, who goes by the username DVD Burn. <laughs> I like that, DVD Burn. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> and he's given us a five-star review as well with a title that says, Don't Think, Subscribe, Thank Me Later. Oh, That's really cool. Now I really like DVD Burn. I know. <laughs> well, Mick R and David, really do appreciate you doing that for us, guys. Thank you very much. And thank you for, you know, listening and, and going that stage further. So today, what have we got in store for everyone? Well, today, I it's weird, really, which, which is good because that forms part of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's strange because I saw, and I can't find it now, but I saw a newspaper article about two weeks ago. And it was about this American chap who built this bunker underground at his property. The idea was, obviously, zombie apocalypse, nuclear war, whatever. He was going to be able to survive it out and tough it out underground with supplies. He, he had loads and loads of food supplies and water treatment and sanitation and electricity and all of the other stuff that you would need to survive for a long period of time underground. And he spent all his money on this. And when I say all his money, I mean it because he ended up going bankrupt and his house was foreclosed upon, meaning that now he doesn't have his bunker either. And then apparently, very shortly after that, the coronavirus kicks off and a lot of these people who had bunkers then retreated into them i don't think necessarily i would have retreated into a bunker because of coronavirus but fair enough horses for courses let people do what they want to do but i just thought that was absolutely amazing that someone would spend all of that time preparing for a freak situation and then when that freak situation has happened they forgot to prepare by paying their bills yeah they forgot to cross some t's and dots and i's there didn't they from what i read this guy had spent in excess of a million dollars sorting this bunker out and putting all of the provisions and supplies and everything else in there and forgot to pay his mortgage. He probably should have had an accountant. Yeah, he probably should have had something. <laughs> yeah. I can't find the news article now. I was searching yesterday for it and I just cannot find it. So if anyone's got it, then forward it on to us because I'd love to give some more info on that. But yeah, so back to your question, what's this about? It's about things that People find underground strange things that people have come across when digging or strange preparations that people have made or whatever. So, yeah, that's what this is about. Cool. Well. And you already knew that anyway, so don't even go there because you've got a load of stuff in front of you acting like it's a surprise. Well, you're the one that says we got to, like, you know, make it all good and stuff and sound all professional and, you know. Yeah, yeah, same professional. I'm professional like Howard Stern. No, no, I'm not. He was way more rude than me. But anyway, <laughs> people in America will know who Howard Stern is. Okay. Seeing how you've already, like, spilled the beans and said, oh, we've got stuff in front of us, I was speaking to you earlier about 
this documentary that I had seen on TV about the underground in Helsinki. And it is amazing. And I'm sure, I'm hoping it would be really cool if somebody from Helsinki or or just Finland is listening just to Finland. us. Not just okay, Finland. Okay. All right, fine. Let me tell the story. This documentary was really interesting. So you were, were sawing wood and snoring next to me while I was watching this on TV. So it was good. It was before you woke up and said, I can't sleep and turn the TV off, you know, sawing and then wood. go back to sleep. What does that mean? I was sawing. snoring. Do you know what? I thought that you were talking about an erection. I thought that you were making reference to the fact that I was asleep snoring with a hard-on. That's what I thought that you were saying when you said <laughs> I was snoring and soaring wood. I thought, what was I doing to it? <laughs> okay. Um, no, Never heard of no, that no, that's not, what I, that's not what I was talking about at all. But anyway, Apparently back not. to Helsinki. They have this underground city under there, and it was awesome. And then you said, oh, I've got to go and have a look at this. So you did. And now you can tell everybody about it because that is the reason why we decided to do underground things. Yeah, well, it says that Helsinki may be the only city in the world that has an underground master plan because actually they started work on this network, if you like, underground in the 80s. And they're still working on it. It has almost 10 million square metres of underground spaces and tunnels. They've got things like a museum. Churches. Yep. Swimming pools, shops. They've they've got a karting track inside so you can go go-karting. They've got sort of shelters in, in case of you know some kind of war or whatever. They've also got a 40-metre deep reservoir that's located there as well so that they can supply the inhabitants with water and i guess to fill the pool but <laughs> yeah <laughs> but you can look at it on a couple of different ways here they say that obviously having it underground makes it more ecological because it means that above ground they can grow all of their crops and everything because the urbanization if you like is now happening subterranean and therefore Everything that's that's on the surface can can flourish and grow. Having said that, they have got things to grow fruit and vegetables and everything down under there, haven't yeah. they? And they've got some kind of light mechanism that allows them to do that. So I think it was originally, I may be wrong, but I think this was originally done because they were concerned about Russia invading them at some point. We obviously know that's happened in the past, but I believe now that the idea was that they, you know, they would be able to escape that. Having said that. Now they've published it all over the internet. I've got a feeling the Russians don't know where to look. I know, and I want to go to Finland now just so I can see this. Because, I mean, if you're not familiar with it, don't think caves. Because no, it's no, not, not like that. I mean, this is state-of-the-art, modern, bright decor under there. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. They've done a really good job. I mean, there are elements under there. Like, I'm looking at the carton centre pictures now and the pool. And you can see that there are... You know, the the rock has has sort of been cut out there. It's been painted, but you can still see it's rock. You know, it's not a flat wall. But at the same time, that, I think, just adds to the appeal of the place. They have got other areas where the walls are nice and smooth and rendered and everything as well. But, yeah, absolutely fantastic. You know, how innovative. Yeah, that is... I remember watching it. While you were sleeping and thinking, oh, I really, I really ought to wake him up, but I know how much 
effort that takes, and I just didn't want to miss any, so. You could have just pressed record. You were probably sleeping on the freaking remote. I never see it. I'm so pleased now. Even my phone has got a remote. (laughs) (laughs) My phone has got an IR blaster on it now, so even if I lose the remote, I can still control the TV. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to go to Helsinki, actually. Helsinki is a very, very techie city anyway. And you know, listen, obviously the home of Nokia, so it was was ahead of the. That's Nokia for Americans. Nokia, is it? Nokia, yeah. You butcher um, everything. But if we do have, I got away with it. Hush your mouth, as I was saying. If we do have anybody listening that has been there or lives in Helsinki or whatever, it would be really cool to get in touch with you just to see firsthand what it's actually like down there. Yeah, it would. And I've been to northern Finland, but I've never been to Helsinki. Love to go there. So I can do like Uxi Kaksi Kolmi Nelly Vizi Kuzi Saitsman Karaksanudit Sankumanen. That's one to ten in Finnish. Wonderful. Has anybody ever on the street asked you, can you please say one to ten? No, for me? but you know what? When I was doing my last job, I actually I actually went to a, a place to repair a machine of a woman who was Finnish and I did say, Oh, I can speak a little bit of Finnish and she said really and kind of looked at me as if to say you do realize it's quite a because it is quite a difficult language and then i rattled off one to ten and thought i was absolutely amazing and she went oh good she said this is how we do it and she went <laughs> and, and it was it was so quick that's, i was just like oh okay that's like devil went down to georgia song you know that yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can't remember what it, i can't remember what it's actually called but yeah, you think you're so bad. Well, actually, it does. It's not because the devil thought he was better, but he wasn't. Yeah. So, never mind. Okay, so you've got a list of strange discoveries there that have been found underground, haven't you? What What have you got there? In 1978, there were a couple of boys who were digging in their home in Los Angeles in the backyard, and uh, they found a Ferrari. A Ferrari, not like a toy car. They found a Ferrari, Dino or Dino, because I don't know, because we could never afford one of these, unless it was a Matchbox car, 246 GTS. How cool is that? It is. They had, they had, um, I wonder put- if they were using a metal detector or whether they just came across it. You know, kids dig, don't they? My parents used to hate it when I used to go outside with even a fork or a spoon <laughs> into the garden. I had a digging because- spoon. When I was little, yeah, I had a digging spoon. My digging spoon was cool because the spoon bit was like silver and the handle was gold. So everybody wanted my digging spoon. It's funny because I remember as a kid, you you did used to dig with a spoon. (laughs) If you gave a kid today a spoon and said, go out in the garden and have some fun, they'd look at you like (laughs) mad. I mean, we always did it. We'd go back there and dig up worms and make like mud Mud, mud patties yeah. and like uh, rub it on ourselves because it, if it was really hot and we made mud and we rubbed it on our, our legs and stuff, it'd be really cool. Well, that's what <laughs> yeah. animals do, don't they? So, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm not a pig or anything. Oink, oink. Go wallow. Anyhow, this Ferrari was obviously covered Dirty. with care because. You know, they um, put towels in the vents and they taped all the seams up and everything. So it's like... And there was one thing they did wrong. They left the window open. They left the windows <laughs> open. And all of, all, all of the stuff went in and totally wrecked the interior. So the outside, <laughs> the outside, they put towels over it and made it all look nice. When that was obviously taken off, it was in a lot better condition than the inside. So, yeah, 
Can you imagine doing that? Burying it and then going, that's going to be safe for years to come. It's my little time capsule. One day someone will come along and find that and you're left a flipping window open. Yeah. And I mean, apparently when they tracked down the owners... They found them, did they? They reported it stolen. So somebody goes and steals their Ferrari and then freaking takes it into somebody's yard and buries it. I mean, what the hell? Hang on a minute. What if they actually buried it and it was an insurance scam? They know it'll never be found and they get the insurance (laughs) money. Well, allegedly. You've got to say allegedly if you accuse someone of something. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I'm just saying, let's look at the option. If you go through the trouble of stealing it, why would you bury it? I mean, you, I just don't get it. Like, what's the point? If you want to hide it, I mean, I don't even know. What could you do? No. What's the statute of limitations on, on Grand Theft Auto? I don't know. Let's go ask Bryce. <laughs> I know. It's like the flipping Encyclopedia Wikipedia. Britannica. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm just wondering whether they thought they'd steal it, bury it until the statute of limitations is up, and then uh, get it back out again and enjoy their Ferrari. Do you know that after the war... Apparently, the Americans left load of jeeps on the beaches and that in France. Yeah, you've got to honestly metal detector Dunkirk, something like that, and just dig up a jeep. It would have cost more money apparently to ship it back to the US to ship it all back to the US than it would have been to just get rid of it and then just build is, a new one in the US. Thing is, they're not supposed to leave that sort of stuff lying around, are they? Because I mean, if there were technologies or or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily want the enemies to it's know. It's a Jeep. How technical is well, a Jeep going to be? Well, I don't know, but go ask James Bond, because I bet you he'd have one cool-ass Jeep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll go and ask James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just saying. You're talking about waking me up is hard, and now you're telling me to go and speak <laughs> to James Bond, a fictional character. <laughs> Never mind. He'd probably kill you anyhow. Did you hear about the Enigmalith? No, what's an Enigmalith? A what? Enigmalith. Enigmalith. No, 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 no. Enigma, as in it's an enigma, and then lith, as in a monolith. Enigmalith. Oh, my God. Enigmalith? Enigmalith. Enigmalith, yeah. So it's the Williams Enigmalith. And in 1998, an electrical engineer by the name of John Williams discovered what's now known as the Williams Enigmalith, or they call it the Petrodox. Okay, but before you explain it, can you please say it really fast five times? Enigmalith, 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 Enigmalith. Oh, fuck off. So, (laughs) moving on now, he found this Petrodox, or this Enigmalith, protruding out of the ground whilst he was on a walk, while he was on a hike. And apparently, he started to dig it up, And when he looked at it, it was a rock. Now, I've got to be fair, okay, because if I was just on a walk and I saw a rock in the ground, the last thing I would do is dig it up. Well, what if it was a pretty rock? It wasn't a pretty rock. I mean, look at the picture of it. It's not a pretty rock. But he says that when he dug it up, upon inspection, it turned out to have some sort of metal component attached to it. And this resembles an electrical three-pin plug. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. You know about this now? Yeah. He's given it to engineers and geologists to examine, and they can see that it is an electrical component that is actually embedded inside the granite. But it doesn't appear to have been glued or welded or... Drilled into the rock or anything. No, nothing like that. It looks that this rock actually formed around 
this electrical component. And the rock has been dated to 100,000 years old. Right, and there you go. That explains why cavemen and all that suddenly made the big leap to us homo sapiens. They figured out electricity and plugged themselves in and they got electricity. Plugging in a rock. Well, they got electricity. What would happen if they tried to plug it in? Well, I don't know, but we can ask... um, If the rock does something if you plug it in. We can ask Fred Flintstone and them, you know. It's amazing how you take something that is actually factual and interesting and you dumb it right down. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry, but they had TVs and everything on the Flintstones that they could plug in and watch. Take your fists off your hips, okay? And I like the Flintstones. You do? (laughs) No arguing with you. Honestly, honestly, it's like it's like trying to have a conversation with a kebab. <laughs> well, I'll just leave, okay? And then you can do this show all by yourself. No, no. <laughs> I'm just saying. A kebab. I don't know why I thought of you as a kebab. I guess that's better than a, like, floppy fishy trout or something. But whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, well, a kebab. May, well, it, it you yeah, know. Next time, next time, next time, you want to get, you know, explain, with this right here. Expli- I'm going to say no because I'm a kebab. Well, it explains the pole up your ass. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little TMI, I think. <laughs> no. have you, have you, I've never heard of the expression when people say you've got a pole up your ass. I, yes, I I've heard of the expression. Yeah, well, I wasn't actually talking about you having something up your ass. What is wrong up with my, you? Up my bung home, through my mouth, and just turn me on a spit. Oh, a spit. <laughs> a bellabab. <laughs> Guys, she's like... She's like the best wife in the world. Yeah, I can call her a kebab. A couple of seconds later, she's just laughing. <laughs> right. Oh, jeez. Okay, move on, Bella, move on. <clears throat> in Paris, they found this uncharted underground cavern, right? And when they go in it, they find that the cave has been transformed into a amphitheater. And there were, like, seats and that cut into all the rocks The cool thing is they found a full-size big cinema screen, projection equipment and everything, right? And a whole bunch of different films. I was thinking maybe they were like naughty films because, you know, that's me. But they weren't. It said none of them were offensive or anything. Some of them were from the 1950s. Then next door to that, they found another cave and it was turned into a restaurant. So it had professionally installed electricity run down there phone lines and everything. I guess this sort of was found and got on the news and all that. After it was found in that, they went back a few days later and the electricity and the phone lines had been cut and there was a note that said, do not try to find us. Wow. So some kind of secret film organization. That's weird, isn't it? But why would you need a secret film organization? Well, I don't know. Was there codes within the film? I mean, did the people actually watch the films? There there may have been a label on there that said this is, you know, Sound of Music, but it could have been something totally different on there. Or Mm. there could have been... Have you ever seen or heard of subliminal messaging? Yes. Where they may take a frame 
So when you look at the movie, it looks like a normal movie, yeah. but but your brain is registering a frame every so often that has a message in there. It would have been interesting to grab hold of some of those films and actually go through them frame by frame to see if there was anything else in there. Yeah, it would have been cool. But, I mean, this isn't in some out-of-the-way place, neither. I mean, this is, like, Paris. not not that far from the Eiffel Tower and all. Yeah, in fact, it's across the Seine. It's, it's opposite the Eiffel Tower across the Seine. Yeah, so it's crazy. In the middle of a city that all of that should go on. But the interesting thing about that, and we've spoken about this before, there must have been a lot of people that knew about that, or there must have certainly been a network of people that knew about it. It didn't have to be hundreds of people. It could have just been five or ten people but people i mean it um, had a purpose didn't it people are bad at keeping secrets people generally people are bad at keeping secrets they always tell someone they care about or the fact that that is still a secret is absolutely amazing to me and that was in 2004 and no news since as far as we're aware yeah it would have to be something pretty strange i mean it's not like a bunch of dudes were sitting around drinking beer one night and went hey let's go put a movie theater and a restaurant in that cave over there that'll be our new man cave or something i mean it's too much effort isn't it yeah you had to do a fair bit of structural work down there to to make all of that and then to put electricity down so someone would have needed to been an electrician or, or at least qualified in some way to to do that kind of work and three phone lines when they got the phones connected and they go oh well what's your address because you always got to have an address, don't you, on your bill? Mm-hmm. What what'd they get? What they do? Oh, cave on the left next to the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, that's us. Yeah, it's crazy. Unless what they did was they used an address of something that was near, directly above, and then they ran extensions down into the into the subterranean. I like part. my I like my um, thought out, mysterious explanation better than yours. Better than my logical. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. What happened was Barney Rubble who's actually a telephone engineer in one of the episodes. No? Okay. No. Although, maybe that weird rock with the plug in it, where was that again? Because maybe that had something to do with that cave. That would be neat, wouldn't it? What if the aliens did it? Well, talking about the aliens, there's one here called the Betts Mystery Sphere. In 1974, the Betts family had some woodlands and a fire destroyed a large part of it and when they examined all of the damage and they're going through checking it and everything they came across a strange metal ball now this ball was completely smooth except for a single elongated triangle symbol they thought initially that it was some kind of space junk or meteor or something like that and they took it home with them now after a couple of weeks they noticed that If they were to play certain frequencies, like, for instance, if they were to play the guitar or something like that, at certain frequencies, this ball would start to resonate. Oh, like a a singing bowl or something. You know, like when you go around the edges of a singing bowl or whatever, and it'll it'll get in tune with... The way they describe it is like a tuning fork. So it starts to hum or resonate when certain frequencies are around it they also found if they rolled it along the floor rather than it staying in the direction that they rolled it it would start to veer off in other directions now you could say that that's because it's center of gravity yes i mean you would think that it was possibly something that was off center okay which was leading it off the only weird thing is that it did actually turn around and come back to wherever it was started from wherever it was originally rolled from so that is (laughs) the boomerang on wheels (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
so on a wheel. <laughs> that's absolutely strange. And again, I don't know that there has been anything later on that has actually explained this. In fact, it says to this day, it's still not known for certain what the mystery sphere is. And they may never know. They don't even know what kind of metal it is or anything? No. Nope. It doesn't say anything in here about the type of metal it is or anything like that. It just says that it's still not known. And in fact, they don't even know where the whereabouts of it is at the minute. It's just disappeared. That's weird. Some people say it could be an alien artifact. Others are saying that it could be just some kind of bearing. But again, for it to But it's got a triangle on it. If it was a bearing, that would mean that a company would have had to have made it, right? And you would think that the company would go oh yeah 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 that's us you know triangle logo whatever or somebody somewhere would Mm. say hey that looks like a such and such company logo but nobody has when it was actually witnessed this thing mrs betts told this reporter from the st petersburg times to put it on the floor and give it a push and it rolled away and stopped the reporter then said well you know so (laughs) yeah she then said wait a minute it turned around by itself and rolled right back about four feet to where it started from. It then stopped, then it turned again and rolled to the left about eight feet, made a big arc, and then came right back to the feet of the person who threw it. Hmm. Weird. Do you know something about this guy named Wilhelm Koenig? Yeah, the Baghdad batteries guy, yeah. I heard about it, and I think when you were looking this up, you were trying to tell me, but I was, you know... Well, not listening. The story goes that 1938, German archaeologist Wilhelm Koenig, he found a clay jar. It was just outside Baghdad, hence why it's called Baghdad Batteries, which is obviously in Iraq. Inside the jar, there was a rod, I believe it was an iron rod, and it was encased in this copper cylinder and so an iron rod and a copper cylinder. cylinder, Okay. The early tests revealed that it had an acidic agent like vinegar or wine that was contained within it if you imagine a battery at the moment you've got an anode and a cathode okay which is, is the, that like the positive and negative yeah, yeah. yeah and what happens is is you'll have an acid or an alkali these days within that and the transfer of electrons within the unit creates the charge right okay so this obviously has the iron core which is that rod and then you've got the copper outside. So the copper outside could have been one pole, mm-hmm. and then the, the rod yeah. inside would have been the other. And then obviously the acid in the middle w- would facilitate that transfer of electrons. Okay, so he believed that he'd stumbled across an old battery, and he published what he thought he'd found. Well, I know what happened. The guy that made that battery showed it to the guy with the rock with the plug in it. That's what happened. <laughs> well, maybe. And the guy together. and the guy that did that went, you don't need to carry the rock around and plug it in. You can just pop one of these in the back of it. Well, and the interesting thing is, and I know that that plug was found in the rock, and I know that this Baghdad battery exists, but if they were something that were used a lot, okay? You think there'd be more you of them? You think there'd be more of them. But there's only ever been one of these found, one of these Baghdad batteries found. There's only been one of those rocks with a plug in it. So it does make you wonder, doesn't it? I mean... If something happened to us now and everything was covered in dust and left for thousands of years and then someone came along and they would find more than one plug, they would find more than one iPhone. I know why they're not finding those. What? The batteries. I know. I know why. Because they're not rechargeable. They were were the throwaway kind, so they just busted them up. So where did they throw them? 
Well, I don't know, but exactly. maybe maybe they broke it up and busted it so they could get the stuff out of it and use it for something else. Maybe they were recycling. Well, that's true. They could have been, but there's. I would have thought there would be more than one person who didn't recycle. You know, no, what it's my like in this neighborhood. stories are better. Yeah, okay. than yours. You're, you're turning from a kebab, which is quite a useful, nice thing, <laughs> into into a vegetarian kebab. All right, so just be careful. <laughs> <laughs> but you like vegetables. And after that is a fruit kebab. You'd eat you me, get to the fruit you? kebab stage, You'd you and I me. are going to be talking. Okay? You'd eat me, wouldn't you? You'd eat me if I was a kebab, and you'd eat me if I was a vegetable kebab. Can we stop this before it goes any further? Because I know exactly and where you're going. you'd eat me if I was fruity flavoured. You're fruity, all right. <laughs> anyway, as That's promised. That's a full-course meal, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Meat, veg, and dessert. <laughs> That's a three-course meal. <laughs> but it's not. The meat and the veg presumably would go together, wouldn't they, to create one course. When you get a plate with Fine. Meat, <laughs> Fine, see, whatever. See, you just need to think it's... your argument through before you say it. Oh, yes, because I totally plan everything that comes out of my mouth. Just, just, yep. Exactly. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> Made well. Excellent. So, as promised, here is your UFO slot presented by researcher Richard Lenny. And then straight after that, we have author Ruth Roper-Wild with her paranormal slot. Take it away, guys. Hi, this is Rich Lenny, and welcome to the weird, wacky, wonderful. Yes, it's me again, in a bunker somewhere on planet Earth. And I'm going to give you some latest information on UFOs, sightings uh, from around the world, things, strange objects that people have seen, and I'm going to start off with uh, an interesting one, actually, from a Poland air show. I'm going back on this to 2009, um, and I'll explain why in a minute. So if you remember, you may not have done, but in 2009, a UFO uh, was seen uh, racing across the sky when a Russian Zukoi Su-27 from the Belarusian Air Force uh, was flying around doing its aerobatics and um, when you actually slow down the video as it's coming up to do um, a barrel roll you see this white sphere going right across its nose and it looks like it actually hits the plane now the plane then um, follows through on its roll and then as it's coming back down again to go back up it doesn't make it and it crashes now um, Obviously, I'll, I'll put a link to all these, including this video. But if we uh, if we go back to present day, okay, um, and a few weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, but you can't really forget this. It was the Pakistan Airbus A320 crash at Karachi. Now, I've seen these videos. I thought, well, because every time there is an air crash, I don't know if you know this, guys, but... There's always spheres usually seen in the sky, and I was looking through all these videos um, when they first came out, and it was blue sky, and I couldn't see anything, and the plane was coming down. It had no engines, which I thought was odd because a twin-engine plane. My dad was in um, aviation. He helped to uh, design the wings for the new um, uh, Airbus, and he told me that the chances of both engines failing are like a billion to one. So... I thought it was a bit odd anyway, um, so I was checking through and I couldn't find any spheres and I found this one video where somebody had obviously videoed it coming out of the clouds 
Now, on on one part of the sky, it was really stormy, okay, and then on the other part, obviously, blue sky, clear as a bell. But on this first part, it only lasts for about, um, I suppose, 40 seconds. But you see the plane, it's obviously stricken, it's got no engines, it's coming down, you've got the real stormy sky, and there they are, three spheres in the sky. Now, I first thought they were um, marks on a windshield of a car because I thought that the video was taken from uh, inside a car. Then I noticed that the guy that took this was actually taking it from his laptop because you could see the um, information at the bottom of the screen. So I thought, okay, well, maybe these are marks on his uh, screen. But then, as the plane was coming down, a fourth sphere, you could see at the bottom, was coming out from the clouds. So it was actually coming through the clouds, and then you could see it properly. And then even a fifth one was up there as well. And it was just starting to come through before the camera panned to the other side of the sky, where, of course, it, it was blue sky and there was no spheres. Well, none I could see. So whether these spheres had anything to do with the accident, I'm not saying for one minute that the plane, when it was in the clouds, hit these spheres. I mean, I don't know how many more there were in there, but boy, they were all coming out when, when this video was taken. I'm not saying for one minute that's what happened. But what I am saying is that these spheres obviously knew that this plane was stricken. And like I said before on my Facebook page, when I've done countless radio shows in the past and been a guest, I've always said to you guys, look, you know, the skies are full of these things. There's a big sky up there, but trust me, they're full of these spheres. And every time there's a disaster, whether it be a volcanic eruption, um, earthquake, just a thunderstorm, because they seem to harness the electricity within the clouds when there's thunderstorms going on. But tornadoes, I've seen a sphere go straight through a tornado at the other side as if it was a breeze. It didn't affect it at all. So it's got, it's got some sort of a, a protective shield around it. But anyway, where there's a disaster, um, like the Challenger uh, shuttle disaster and so on and so forth, the Columbia disaster, when it was coming back through the atmosphere, there were spheres there. You know, they're always there. They're watching all the time. So I knew there was probably something going on. Twin Towers is a great one. In fact, there were spheres seen uh, flying over the Twin Towers before any of the planes even hit the t towers, when the towers were fine. About an hour before, because somebody was just videoing uh, from an apartment block opposite. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I'm going to leave the link down um, for this particular video. But the last time I looked, the video had been taken, taken down off YouTube. So I don't know whether it's back up or not. If I can find the link, I'll obviously give it to you guys. And then if it does come back up, you can see it. But guess what, guys? Last time I looked, it had been taken down. All the other videos are up. Okay, the ones with the blue sky, you know, um, horrible, horrific scenes afterwards when obviously the plane had crashed and it was in between buildings and they were trying to look for survivors and so on. Um, there's even CGI ones. I mean, you know, I don't know. But anyway, this particular one, um, I was lucky at the time. I found it. I kept going over and over and over. I thought, guys, you've got to, you've got to see this when I do my next show for Weird Wacky Wonderful. I was thinking, oh, God. I can get the link up. You can see this for yourself. You can see the fourth one coming out of the clouds. You can then see that fifth one just before it pans to the blue sky. But they have taken down this video. Now, if it comes back up, I will send you the link. But you've got to trust me on this one, guys. Even though if you don't see the video, what I've just explained to you is exactly, exactly what I saw. Okay? 
and it was definitely not marks on the laptop screen. This was definitely spheres coming out of the clouds. So um, on to the next one. An unknown object uh, believed to be a spherical in, in shape, stationary above UK at 62,500 feet. Uh, now, this was caught on virtual radar. I don't know if you've got the app on your phone, but if you look and Google virtual radar, you can put this onto your phone. And what it does, it basically tracks aircraft and you can see where they are you know, throughout the world, um, where you live and stuff like that. You can you can see them. And um, on this particular occasion, there was um, a craft picked up by Michael Paul McVeigh. He's a friend of mine on Facebook. I hope I pronounced your name right. McVeigh. Yeah. Michael Paul McVeigh. V-E-Y. Now, he found this and he sent it over to me. And basically, <laughs> we don't have a plane that goes up to 62,500 62, feet. And if we do, it doesn't stay there for 24 hours, which is what this thing was doing. So we've got an object um, which is stationary. Above the UK, I believe it took off from Ireland really quickly, flew straight up. And also a guy called Frank, I don't know his surname, but he also got the um, pilots to um, come through on this app because apparently you can listen to the pilots as well as seeing where they are. And he said that he heard one of the pilots say, a sphere just shot up across my path. So there was a spherical object. It flew up from Ireland up to 62,500 feet and then stayed stationary over the UK for 24 or 23 hours. The registration number was H5875412. Um, the operator was known as Harvester Queen, and the call sign was BLL7777. Speed, zero, altitude, 62,500 feet. Now, I found that to be very, very interesting. So I don't know what your guys' uh, take is on that, but um, I don't think it was a 737 or a bird. Let's put it that way. And the last thing I want to talk about before I uh, sign off today is that the stars in our skies, um, they're not all stars. Some of them, guys, are mechanical. Yeah. Now, a lady back in 2011 told me this in Devon. You can Google this. I'll go to any radio show I've been on, um, including the weird, wacky, wonderful. And I'll be talking about this lady. Her name is Nina. And she said, Richard, when I look up at the sky at night, I don't always see stars. Sometimes I see mechanical objects. And I said, what do you mean, Nina, mechanical? She said, well, they just seem mechanical. And then I went straight back to John Wilson days when he caught those deep space stations with his telescope. Do you remember? Google John Wilson and they'll come up straight away. I've posted lots of photographs on there. And basically what you do is when you um, catch a star and you zoom out, it goes into a donut shape. OK, but if you zoom out and it's not a star, it's one of these deep space stations or craft of some kind. When you zoom out, it doesn't become a donut. It becomes one of these things that looks like it's come out of a Star Wars movie. And I think that's what Nina was talking about. I think this was her mechanical sighting that she could see because don't forget Nina could see into the infrared spectrum which of course is humanly impossible we all know but she proved it to me and like I said just listen to my um, show uh, that I've been on and I'll talk all about that I haven't got time to discuss that here today but boy she could see things that you could not see with your naked eye and if you have the equipment which I did and I had infrared on it 
then I could see what she was seeing. So this just proves, doesn't it, 100% that they are hiding in the infrared spectrum. Even though you can't physically see it with your own eyes, they are definitely there. So I just want to say basically to all you guys, that's it for this week, uh, for this month. And um, I'll see you again next month. This is Rich Eleni signing off for the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful. Hi, everyone, and welcome to my slot on everything paranormal. I'm Ruth Roper Wild, and I'll be telling you a few creepy stories for the next few minutes. So buckle up, make sure the light is on, and let's get going. In the news this month, the COVID-19 lockdown has also caused problems for those people who make their living from the paranormal. An Edinburgh tour guide from Scotland, UK, has explained that during lockdown, she has been unable to lead her usual ghost tour around Edinburgh. She told STV News that as she began to struggle with the financial implications of the lockdown, designed to keep people healthy and safe, she realised that she could either sit and think, oh my goodness, I've got no job, or she could do something about it. So Christina Evener posted an advert to an Edinburgh Facebook group to see if people were interested in joining her for an online ghost tour and got a positive response. She made videos of the spiel she would normally give during her walking tours. Although she says she found it hard speaking to camera with no live audience present and interacting with her, she has knuckled down and done her best to tell the stories with the same level of passion and engagement she would normally bring in person. She says the tours are interesting both for locals, finding out things they never knew about their hometown, but are also well-loved by tourists from around the world. There's a link to her video enclosed in the show notes. Also on the recent news front, a YouTuber channel called Disclose Screen the Grim Reefer has uploaded a video taken on the 9th of June 2020 from a man in Bradenton, Florida. The man had just seen something in his backyard, so he used his phone camera to start filming. You see him walking and opening the screen door onto his backyard and then turning the camera around on the phone so that it's the rear camera operating, not the front-facing selfie camera. And fair warning, viewer discretion is needed for this part if you decide to watch it. He does swear quite a bit. His backyard is an open grass area with a discarded bike lying on its side. And across the grass, a power or utility pole of some description with wires coming from it. He is speaking as he focuses on the camera on that pole, telling the viewer this is the exact spot in his backyard he just saw something. But even as he speaks, some sort of tall, somewhat humanoid, partially transparent figure flits across the screen near to the pole and is captured for just the briefest of moments. Now, I'm certainly no video expert, but I have to say his reaction is really realistic. He immediately darts backwards and slams the door to protect himself from whatever it was he can see and which the camera just captured. He looks genuinely quite shaken as the video stops. The YouTube clip includes a super slowed down section for you to look closely at whatever it is. And to be honest, that doesn't make it much clearer. You can really only make out something large, humanoid and transparent dart across the grass pole for a split second. Well, those of you who already know me know that I'm an author and I write books on the supernatural. Most young ghosts, but other things do creep in there from time to time, so that account did pique my interest. Now, one of my books, The Almanac of British Ghosts, tells you where you can find anniversary ghosts haunting on given days around the year in the British Isles. Coming up in the near future, on July the 1st, if you live near Smithfield in London, you might want to take a wander near St Bartholomew's Church, which boasts the title of the second oldest church in the capital. It was founded in 1123 AD by a man called Rahir, from the court of King Henry I. Now supposedly, while still a young man, Rahir made a pilgrimage to Rome, 
but unfortunately became very ill whilst he was there. He had a vision during his illness, and as a result of that experience, he vowed to persuade the king to allow him to build a church, which would be dedicated to St. Bartholomew, and which could care for the poor, the sick and the elderly. The king granted him the land and permission to build, and it's believed that the church opened its doors in around 1127 AD or so. It continued to be built on and expanded for some years to come, and Rahir became its first canon. The church continued to provide healing and prayer for some 400 years, and was also the inspiration for the founding of St Bartholomew's Hospital in the reign of Henry VIII. It also witnessed a lot of horror in its time. William Wallace was hung, drawn and quartered in front of it. Remember the film Braveheart, Mel Gibson? Wat Tyler was murdered close to it, and hundreds of heretics were also executed in the square in front of it. As some sources claim that the ghost of Rahir still haunts his beloved church, and that at 7am on the morning of July the 1st every year, he can be seen standing by this altar or emerging from the vestry. Unfortunately, I can't find any listing of what was the import of that date. Various sources list his death as 1143, 1144 or 1145, but none of them give the actual date or cause of his death. Supposedly, as well as Rahir, the sounds of screams and the crackle of bonfires can also be heard at any time of the year in the church, and a shapeless mass is sometimes seen to float down the aisle, emanating a feeling of pure evil as it passes. In 2001, the Evening Standard newspaper reported that the motion sensor alarm for the church was triggered in the middle of the night. When the incumbent went to investigate and turn it off, he heard the sound of footsteps, even though no one else was in the building at the time. The following day, the alarm company was called out and checked the equipment for faults. But to everybody's discomfort and astonishment, only the motion sensor next to Rahia's tomb had been triggered. None of the others around the old building. In 2008, a group called Haunted Earth posted a YouTube video of an investigation at the church by Chris Halton, with several EVPs highlighted. You can find it by searching YouTube under London's Most Haunted Church Halloween Special. Now, EVP, or electronic voice phenomena, is when a voice is captured by an audio recording device which the investigator did not physically hear at the time. The ones captured in the church are not particularly clear, but it's still quite interesting. In 2015, one visitor wrote that she sensed something evil in one part of the church, which made her feel very uncomfortable. It seems likely, then, that paranormal activity is quite prevalent still today. On July the 2nd, the best place to be if you're nearby is Marston Moor, near Long Marston in Yorkshire. This anniversary haunting is one of a battle fought during the English Civil War. On July the 1st, 1644, Prince Rupert broke the siege of York and liberated the Marquess of Newcastle. Maybe feeling confident following that success, on the following day, July the 2nd, he engaged with the parliamentary forces near Long Marston, led by Lord Fairfax and the Earl of Manchester. The battle didn't start until seven o'clock in the evening and was hampered when the thunderstorm stuck while it was still raging. Now, being summertime, it would still have been broad daylight at that time in the evening, but by ten o'clock that night, as darkness fell, it was all over, and over 4,000 of Prince Rupert's royalist forces lay dead in one of the bloodiest and most decisive battles of the whole war. On average, for those three bloody hours of battle, around 25 men died every minute. The casualties were buried in mass graves in unconsecrated ground and it was a prevalent belief at the time that the dead would not lie quietly in their graves if not given proper funeral rites. The first report of the ghost seems to be in the form of some very fancifully worded news pamphlets that were printed in 1659 
and the reports of the hauntings go on even to this day. People see the soldiers picking their way through the countryside after nightfall on the evening of July the 2nd, and it seems likely their ghosts have been noted here for some centuries. In 1932, some men driving across the moor in a car saw their headlights pick out the forms of three soldiers walking along, wearing what was later confirmed as cavalier uniform. As they neared the group, the passengers in the car suddenly saw the soldiers fade and disappear from view. Bewildered by this, they did stop and try to find the men, but they couldn't find anything. The ghostly figures were seen again in 1968 by a group of tourists trying to find the right road to Weatherby. They assumed they'd seen a group of half a dozen reenactment actors walking along the roadside until it was pointed out that they were actually crossing the site of the battle of itself at night. Now, during the 1970s, one writer lived in a farmhouse on the edge of the battle site, parts of which date back to the right period. And throughout her childhood, the sound of men screaming and the clash of armour was a normal evening sound for them, which she became so accustomed to that she would pay little attention to it. Interestingly, she described how the sounds could be heard all year round, but became even more noticeably active around the anniversary of the battle each year. In 1992, drivers once again reported seeing bedraggled, weary-looking soldiers walking along the roads. So if you do happen to be driving around there at night, please take a camera with you. You might be well lucky enough to get a true ghost photograph. And finally, I thought I'd end this month with telling you about a recent correspondence I had, which will appear in my next book, These Haunted Times, Volume 2, which will hopefully be out in another six months or so. My witness told me about his experiences living in Bell Row in Baldock, Hertfordshire, in the UK. Now, he and his wife were married in 1973, and his job had offered them accommodation above a shop. As newlyweds, they were ecstatic to be able to have their own place, having been living with his parents for a little while. The flat was in an old building with a quirky layout. A flight of stairs led up to the large bathroom and the bedroom, and at the top of these stairs was a small cupboard. They never used it for anything because its awkward position, an ancient door which always got stuck on the floorboards if you tried to open it, meant that it was really not much use as a storage space. However, they'd often come home from work and find the door standing open. It was difficult to actually force the door closed again, and it became quite a talking point as to how on earth it was managed to open itself each time, given how difficult it was to move the door. Sometimes, when in the flat alone, he would experience the feeling that someone else was there with him, sometimes even feeling they were literally standing right behind him. His wife also experienced this, and on occasion, both of them also felt someone actually tug at their clothing. Sometimes, terrible smells would suddenly pervade the space, smelling like rotten meat. In the end, they called out environmental health, trying to find the source, but no physical cause was ever established. By this time, they were beginning to feel uncomfortable staying in the flat, so he decided to bring over his spaniel dog for the night, who up until this point had been remaining at his parents' home, as the flat had no outdoor space. He brought the dog round, but as soon as he opened the door to the flat and tried to coax her up the stairs to the living space, she became terrified, so much so that she actually wet herself on the stairs. She shivered and whimpered all night, and he felt terrible for her obvious distress at something in the flat. He took her back to his parents the very next morning. And whilst there, he got permission for him and his wife to also move back in. They couldn't stand another night in the haunted property after seeing how frightened the dog was. Well, I hope you enjoyed this section. Happy ghost hunting. And please, please get in touch with me with your own accounts from anywhere around the world. My email address is wa 
1400 at outlook.com. And I'd love to hear from you. Speak to you next time. Thank you very much, Richard and Ruth, for some excellent reports once again. And we got an exclusive then for Ruth's forthcoming book. That's quite interesting. And we definitely need to check out the videos that both Richard and Ruth mentioned on their slots. Definitely. Yeah, but they'll be pretty interesting. You know what I'm wondering about? What? Don't you think it's weird how whenever there's, well, not whenever, a lot of times when people are looking at things that are paranormal or unexplained... They see orbs. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crossing over now, isn't it? Because Richard was talking about the orbs that he saw on those videos. And then obviously you've got the orbs that are seen when there's paranormal events as well. That's what I mean. I mean, so I was thinking, like, what does that mean? And I thought, well, maybe these things are deliberately disguising themselves so that you don't know what they are, which, you know, okay, that's fine. But then I thought... What if our mind just can't interpret whatever it is that that it's seeing and it somehow says, oh, it's an orb, we don't know what it is. Kind of like how they do on TV where they color block things out, you know, like they they don't want you to look at on TV. Yeah, so what, the the brain is, is creating the orb because it can't decipher what it is it's being shown. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. It's just interesting. That's an interesting thought, yeah. Because it used to only be hauntings were orbs. But now that I think about it, and after what Richard Lenny was talking about, it just makes you wonder, like, what's what's the purpose of the orb? Yeah, well, I'm sure that Richard would tell you that the orbs that he's seen are, are different to the ones that, like, Ruth has spoken about. I don't know. But it's interesting that it's, it's orb-based, isn't it? Yeah, it just popped into my head as we were, uh, you know, listening to R- Richard Lenny, and then... I'm impressed that something popped into your head that wasn't... Screw you! What? I, I, you didn't know what I was going to say. Yeah. Actually, no, you did. You had a pretty damn good idea what I was going to say. Yeah. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to us once again here on the Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories podcast. Please make sure you tune in again for the next episode and also for our bonus episodes with Reminiscing with Tom. Bonuses. <laughs> bonus. B-O-N-U-S, not B-O-N-A apostrophe S. I said, I said oh, right, bonuses. Okay. Uh, you threw me again. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter as usual. You can also go to our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk and learn a little bit more about us, our episodes, our guests, and Richard, Ruth, and Tom. Yes, love Tom. Yes. <laughs> okay, thank you very much once again for listening. And please, one more plug, please do give us a review if you can on iTunes or anywhere else where you listen to our show that allows you to leave a Nice, positive five-star review. It was like Beavis and Butthead. And he, he always used to go, hey, hey, hey. you said bone. <laughs> <laughs> you said bone. <laughs> Guys, please do, just like Bella, remain weird, weird wacky, wacky, and, and wonderful. wonderful. And kebab-like. Fuck off. <laughs> oh, by the way, have you heard of that new sport? What? Slap a kebab. You better run. <laughs> I'll give you a knuckle sandwich to go with your kebab. <laughs>